Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court, SCOTUS, and Justice Gorsuch steps up, Bolton and the impeachment treachery, and the China threat and the coronavirus. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. The Supreme Court ruled on Monday, yesterday, in a case involving a Trump administration rule that relates to the immigration, the granting of visas to people who want, who want to, a legal right to stay in America. The essential ruling had to do with the term or the meaning of the expression, a public charge. In summary, the Trump administration had decided to move forward with a rule that allows people reviewing visa applications, people applying for visas, to consider whether or not those people applying for visas either have relied on government benefits or would be likely to rely on them. Essentially, trying to stop the idea of people coming to America and getting visa, visa, visa so they're able to stay here and prevent people from coming here if they're just going to come here and get on, become public charges, or get on the public dole. The law has said for years that the immigration people can look at the public charge thing, but under the, the uh, Clinton era, Obama era, the change was they only really took into consideration would the people seeking visas coming here be looking for cash handouts. As long as they weren't coming looking for cash handouts, they that wasn't a consideration they could be granted a visa and even if it was obvious they're going to be relying on food stamps public housing other sorts of non-monetary benefits so the core of this was that the supreme court is agreeing with to allow the enforcement of this rule to go forward but this case actually has many more important ramifications for america i want to be sure and talk about them today in the first five to start with there's a mindset on the left that this is a cruel thing. How can we, America, in making decisions about who can come here and be granted a visa, how can we take into consideration whether or not the people can come here and be self-sufficient? Isn't that cruel and terrible? You know, we should, in fact, argue many leftists be more willing to take people in into America if they are poor, if they are low income, if they are likely to become public charges and depend upon the handout system in our country. So one thing I want to share with you was a tweet. This is an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweet that was about this ruling. I want to ask Matt the Wonderful to bring it up on the screen. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, very upset about the Supreme Court ruling, said, this is shameful. America shouldn't have a wealth test for admission. It's a place where millions of people are descendants of immigrants who came with nothing and made a life. The American dream isn't a private club with a cover charge. It's the possibility of remaking your future. I want to stop there and just say it is just amazing the capacity the American left has not just AOC but so many on the left to make very reasonable policies sound crazy or to make their policy which is pretty much everyone come in everyone gets everything for free it's all free to make their 
handout idea ideology kind of seem like the norm kind of reasonable and and isn't doesn't everyone think like this why wouldn't everyone get to do this well i want to play a quick clip and i'm telling you i told matt the wonderful today when i sent him this clip for the show i want to play it today but this is the mindset this is elizabeth warren a little tiny clip from her elizabeth warren when she was being asked in an interview they, the person went through you know you want to do free college forgiveness of all loans you know free this free that free health care how are you going to pay for it all where's the money going to come from and here is what the woman who would like to be your future president senator elizabeth warren here's her answer and the way i see it there's always come on there's always money okay this summarizes the entire left-wing mindset about every single program they want to create. There's always money. Somehow we'll find money. She goes on to say, you know, we spend too much on the military. We should be cutting the military budget. This is how they think. This is how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, college graduate with an economics degree, thinks about this. No consideration for could we run into trouble in America if we have a very open immigration system and we are perpetually granting visas to people who come to America who have no capacity to take care of themselves. And I will tell you also, folks, in this topic about whether or not countries should impose such requirements. Years ago, when we were living in California, a, a couple we knew, some good friends of ours, they decided to move, literally picked up and moved to New Zealand. First started looking at Australia, ended up in New Zealand, both countries imposed a requirement before they could even attempt to move there, to apply to move there, impose a requirement that they show that they would never become dependent on welfare. They would not be public charges. This is an idea that has floated around immigration policy in countries all over the world for centuries, at least for decades, I would venture centuries. The idea you don't welcome more and more in when you are a country that hands out everything you need for free. You have a notion that your taxpayers, the people who live in your country, work hard, pay taxes, should not have to foot the bill for the government's largesse or generosity in bringing more people here and more people here and more people here and more people here without any consideration whether or not those people are going to be able to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, or are they going to come to here to in some way defend, depend on the welfare state. One of the little shot, I will give you a warning ahead of time. There's a little bit of crass language here, but the tweet I showed you a moment ago with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez brought a reply from the famous Candace Owens, founder of Blexit. She responded to AOC's tweet. If we can put that up, Matt the Wonderful. Want to show, so this is Candace Owens responding to what uh, AOC had to say. We did not descend from American immigrants that came here for welfare. Welfare wasn't even a thing before 1935, so millions somehow made a life without shameful socialist theft from others. Also, one cannot remake their future. I'll leave the last sentence for you to read yourself, but the point is, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tries to paint this flowery vision of how somehow when people come here, you know, for all we've done for centuries, everybody comes here, we hand them all free a, a living. That isn't what happened at all. And, and really, Kenneth Owens is exactly right. People came to America with the idea it's a land of opportunity where if you work hard and apply yourself, you can make a life for yourself. That was the America then. What we're facing now is an America 
having had our immigration system, our border security system, our visa system, our asylum system, all of those taken over by left-wing thinking for decades now in Washington that have dumbed down the idea of why we bring people here, have encouraged the people, people coming to America who are not able to participate in the American economy, the encouragement by the left to bring in more and more people who are low-skilled, unable to work, very likely to become dependent on government handouts, and we're seeing the result of that in, the, in our economy today. So this is, this is one initiative President Trump had where he said, you know, we're, we're going to write this ship. We're going to look again and we're going to apply today's criteria, rational criteria, to look at the question of whether or not we bring people here who can become self-sufficient or we bring people here who are just going to live in the welfare state. But there's a second point about the Supreme Court decision on Monday, and perhaps it was even a more important point. In this Supreme Court decision, what's happened is, and, and since the time President Trump has been president, he issues executive orders, especially with respect to immigration. And then various litigious left-wing organizations around this country file lawsuits, choosing their venue, choosing the federal district courts where they think they'll find sympathy for the left-wing view. They choose federal district courts where they know the appellate court, the circuit court above the, the trial court is a very liberal left-leaning. And there has been just an avalanche of litigation by leftists in this country against President Trump as he attempts to correct and, and fix many of the things that are wrong with the immigration system using his power of the executive order. Because many of those courts are filled with left-wing judges appointed by President Obama, President Clinton, those courts are filled with judges who've been extremely activist and pretty much if President Trump likes it, they don't. They find reasons to strike down much of what President Trump is trying to do in reforming our immigration system. On top of that, many of those liberal judges have decided that not only are they going to issue, if they're the you know, district court for the Northern District of Texas, so that is your, when you're a federal district court judge, that's your, say you're the judge in the Northern District of, Te district of Texas, your jurisdiction where you're in charge is in lawsuits properly filed in your court involving a controversy in your area and your ruling is supposed to apply to the geographic area where your court sits. So your ruling is supposed to apply in the case of the Northern District of Texas. It applies in the Northern District of Texas. What activist judges have been doing especially in the Trump era, is issuing injunctions, finding things that President Trump has done that they don't like because they're left-wingers, and issuing orders, courts issuing orders and joining the president from moving forward with a policy and in their ruling applying what they say to the entire country. District court judges whose jurisdiction may be, you know, the northern part of Texas or some other place, applying their rulings, just announcing in their rulings, the president, the administration is hereby enjoined for enforcing this new policy, this new rule anywhere. It is a very activist mission attempt, attempt and, and, and successful, sadly, in many cases, to stall the president's agenda to do their part in the left-wing march to attack President Trump. So these judges have issued uh, nationwide rulings, and that was the other great thing that came out of the Supreme Court decision on Monday. Uh, Neil Gorsuch, appoint the justice in the Supreme Court, appointed by President Trump, issued a concurring opinion, joined in by Clarence Thomas, 
essentially a, you know, a, a shot over the bow to district court judges and circuit court judges saying, knock it off, no more. You have jurisdiction in your area and you can issue orders in your area, in your jurisdiction, in your circuit, if you're an appellate court circuit judge or in your district, but you don't have the constitutional authority to issue orders on a nationwide blanket basis declaring President Trump's orders or his his decisions as unconstitutional. You got to stick to the area. And this is really, this is a brilliant thing he did. People are actually starting to talk about whether Justice Gorsuch is going to step up and be the Scalia of his time, because it was a very forcefully worded concurrence and a very a definite message. You got to knock it off. So to be clear on this executive order relating to who's a public charge, there have been numerous rulings by a competing number of district courts. In the meantime, the Supreme Court said that the president can go forward, the administration can go forward using this new rule about public charges, but also the Supreme Court decision is kind of letting, not kind of, the Supreme Court decision is letting the uh, district court judges, these liberal judges around the country know that, that they are not going to continue they have no constitutional authority to continue issuing, issuing nationwide injunctions. Great move by Justice Gorsuch. Great move, really, to begin to restore the rule of law in this country and to put a halt, a bump in the road in the effort the American left has to undermine Trump at every possible conceivable step of the way. That, my friends, is today's First Five. I want to turn and talk to now what's happening. You know, I try not to talk about the impeachment every single day because it could consume every show I do every day. But I do want to turn and talk about the impeachment today. And I use the term impeachment treachery. And it's really important to understand several different um, aspects of this are going on in Washington. You might obviously you likely know that the uh, president, you know, was impeached to articles of impeachment in the House. Now the Senate is having their trial. And what's happening right now in the Senate, the president's lawyers are wrapping up their arguments today. So you have the House managers presented their case. Now the president's lawyers have presented their defense. And then apparently tomorrow will turn to questioning by the senators. So the senators then get to, you know, probe and find out whatever they want to ask they're allowed to do. And then after that, there's going to be a vote on whether or not to call witnesses. I do mean when I use the word treachery about John Bolton. He was, is President Trump's former uh, national security advisor, NSA advisor. So he was a trusted, I mean, top level of the entire country, trusted official by the Trump administration, a person in whom President Trump had to confide in a variety of contexts on all sorts of issues, because that's why you have high level advisors when you're the president. You actually need to be able to tell them precisely what you think, what your concerns are, to talk out the hard issues, to get the advice, opinions from these people about the hard issues that you're facing as a country. So John Bolton was fired by President Trump, and obviously no one likes to be fired. John Bolton has now written a book, and this book is not yet out yet, not yet out, but John Bolton has written a book in which he is backing up the Democrat view on this impeachment question related to the president's conversation with Ukrainian President Zelensky. Bolton is floating stories 
in this book that make it sound like President Trump really did put a quid pro quo or really did withhold aid to the Ukrainian country for the explicit purpose of, you know, trying to force them, arm twist them into investigating the Burisma, Biden, you know, money laundering, whole corrupt organization that was happening in the Ukraine in 2016 when Joe Biden was still vice president, his son Hunter Biden sat on the board of Burisma making a mountain of money for doing nothing and knowing nothing. But Bolton is helping the Democrats. So the first point I want to make clear before we get to all the other details is this. And I think I've said this in a show before. I've definitely said it in social media. I've said it in speeches. I think it's a mistake for President Trump's defense team to concede the point that if there was anything that can be characterized as a quid pro quo, then indeed Trump did something wrong and could be in big trouble. I don't think the president's defense team should be saying that or implying that or conceding that. What President Trump was looking into was actual, known, apparent State Department involvement, corruption with Burisma, with NGOs involved, funded by the American taxpayer through our State Department, the then vice president of our country and his adult son, other people connected to high-level people in Washington. It was corruption, at uh, the appearance of corruption, which we all have heard, I won't go over it again, but we've all heard that we heard Joe Biden announce it, not just begrudgingly admit it, bragging about what he did in 2016 in the Ukraine, telling him, you're going to fire this prosecutor looking into my son's company or we're withholding a billion dollars of aid. The idea that President, what is it, the problem I have before I get into all the other details for today is President Trump's legal team should not be even by implication agreeing that if somebody like Bolton or any of these other characters running around trying to undermine the president, if any of them can make it sound like the president even momentarily hesitated on releasing the aid or delayed it for a few days, even if he didn't communicate with them as to why, that anything like that, if what President Trump was thinking was that he was withholding aid, trying to force them to look into this case, and this is that, that therefore he, President Trump, is guilty of one of the impeachment charges or is guilty of some other impeachable offense because you can't do quid pro quo. You can. There's not, there's not a constitutional provision that says quid pro quo is a bad thing. We do aid all the time to other countries saying, we're going to hold back aid until you, whatever, you know, stop hassling the Christians, stop persecuting Christians, stop doing this, stop doing that. You can do that. But what the, the nub of this is, is that people who are critical of President Trump want to characterize any withholding of money as an attempt by the president to interfere in the 2020 elections to hurt Joe Biden's chances of winning. But the president would have had a valid reason to go after 
to want to have the Ukrainians look into whatever all that was happening. And there's a lot known, we've talked about in the show in depth, but a lot known already with NGOs and State Department and Burisma and the money flowing to the Ukraine and the money laundering. I mean, there was a lot already known. So President Trump's critics are saying that if they can prove it crossed his mind that one thing might be if we if he pressured them to look into this into and investigate uh, Burisma uh, that that it might hurt Biden's election chances that's an impeachable offense the the fact is a responsible president of our country should be looking into whether or not there was corruption not yet exposed especially with American taxpayer dollars involved, corruption not yet exposed, corruption not yet investigated, involving Burisma, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. And the fact that Joe Biden chose to run for president does not all of a sudden make it illegitimate for President Trump to look into the situation. I really want you to, to, I want that point to sink in. The Democrats are arguing that because Biden chose to run for president, all of his conduct, in 2016 is can't be talked about, can't be looked into, cannot even be discussed because it's irrelevant because he's a candidate. So anything he did, anything President Trump did to look into it constitutes interference in 2020 elections instead of constitutes the duty of the Republican, uh, of the President of the United States to look into corruption that included uh, the previous administration in this country and included taxpayer dollars. President Trump was permitted to require, ask, inquire, encourage the Ukrainian government to look into corruption involving the previous presidency, the previous administration, and involving Burisma, and involving Biden. He's entitled to ask about it. And somehow, because Joe Biden is now a candidate, President Trump did not lose that, that right, that, that uh, not just right for President Trump to look into, obligation to look into it, that did not go away. And so in the Senate defense, when you see the president's lawyers presenting a defense in the Senate, they've been talking. They've been talking about the corruption and Burisma and Biden. And so the Democrats try, trying to say, you can't talk about that. It's irrelevant. Doesn't matter what it doesn't matter. What it doesn't matter. It only matters this one conversation and everything else we can pull out of the woodwork to make the allegation that we can prove that President Trump was talking about the Ukrainian aid and Biden because in the back of his head, he was thinking maybe I can cause the 2020 elections to go against Biden. This is the Democrat position. You have to be clear on the Republican side. You've got to be clear and understand. President Trump had every right to look into that and to ask the Ukrainians to look into it, to say he needed to do it. This is this is the craziest impeachment there is, the idea there has been. So. Understanding that point, that I think the president's lawyers need to stop fussing about whether or not somebody can come up with some alleged statement at, made at some point by somebody in the White House that maybe made it sound like Trump thought maybe if Ukrainians uh, weren't willing to investigate, maybe we should hold aid back. Stop worrying about that. Stop worrying about that. When you're the president, you can look into corruption involving the previous administration, involving taxpayer dollars. You can ask Ukrainians to do it, and you don't lose that right to do it just because the person involved in that corruption, Joe Biden, is now a candidate for president. 
Now I want to get the rest of things and get on with what um, Bolton is doing. So Bolton is upset and unhappy and a you know, big ego guy because he was let go. He's no longer the national security advisor to President Trump. So he's got a book. And in this book, he is trying to take the side of the Democrats. Now, a couple of things about this really, really, really matter. Number one, there was a leak. A leak of some of the content of this book that is not out yet. The New York Times shockingly got this story, got a leak, ran some stuff talking about how bad that Bolton's book is really going to bolster the Democrats' case. So, number one, a leak. We don't, you know, Bolton is, of course, saying, I don't know who did that. Not me, not my team. I don't know. You know, no, no one leaked it. It just like magically appeared one day in the New York Times headquarters, and no one, but no one leaked it. I'm joking. Obviously, someone leaked it. Number two. In what was leaked, there were comments that were accusatory of the uh, of conversations, uh, trying to characterize conversations that happened um, in the Department of Justice, in which they were claiming uh, certain statements that were made by, um, allegedly made by the Attorney General or um, others uh, that that are being recounted in this book, kind of like saying, look, we're right here, we got the proof. You know, we got we have the Attorney General having uh, been part of this. So Attorney General's office, um, the, um, the uh, Department of Justice is denying, has already put a statement out denying what Bolton is saying happened in some conversations. See, Bolton's out there on his own writing a book, trying to lay blame at the feet of President Trump, trying to call in saying, see, at the Department of Justice, this happened, this happened. DOJ is totally denying it, denying the Times report based on Bolton's new book, specifically denying a meeting uh, between the former National Security Advisor and Attorney General William Barr about Trump's relationships with world leaders. Bolton the Nefarious is trying to to rope in Barr and claim somehow Barr was kind of privy to what Trump was doing and it wasn't right. Barr is saying uh, no deal, no dice, not true. In addition, because what the NSA does is so super secret, so confidential, the NSA actually has a person who is responsible for deciding what people are allowed to say, what they're allowed to put out there after they're finished with their service. I mean, you can't serve in the NSA and then go into private life and write a book and tell everything that you heard the whole time you're in the NSA. But... The, of all, I mean, if you wrote this in a fiction, people would say, oh, that would never happen. In the NSA, the person with responsibility to review the contents of things that former NSA officials want to publish publicly, the person in charge of deciding is anything this former NSA person that they're wanting to put in a book, is any of it harmful to us? Should we let this out or not? The person who has that job has a last name of Vindman, V-I-N-D-M-A-N. And I want you to take a second and think about where you heard the name Vindman before. Vindman has a brother, has an actual twin brother. Vindman was one of the people. He was a Ukraine desk guy. They are, in fact, Ukrainian by background. Vindman, NSA guy, was one of the people who testified for the Democrats in the House impeachment trial. And he's high, you know, very high level connection to the Ukrainians. He was a guy who testified against Trump. 
He was a guy who was, when he was finished speaking, many people were thinking, he kind of sounds like he's been talking to high level officials in the Ukraine out of school, out of his role in ways he shouldn't be doing. So that Vindman has a brother, and I believe it's a twin brother, whose job it is to vet what former NSA officials can put in books or articles or anything public when they leave and that Vindman the twin of Vindman the witness against President Trump, that's the guy who reviewed the content of Bolton's book and has apparently given it the green light. I mean, people, you have to understand, this is the left in this country believing anything goes, anything is justified to get this president. So the former NSA advisor can spill the beans on all sorts of things, which, you know, the DOJ says he's not even telling the truth, but he can put this out there to get Trump and someone who's on a position, in the position, in the NSA, who's the ethics lawyer for the NSA, that guy can authorize the former NSA director to write a book to accuse President Trump of doing what the Democrats said he did and which he's denying. I, I mean, you just, you, you could, you, you, you're, okay, I'm stuttering. You're left like speechless. How could this be? And no one's saying, wait a minute, how is he still have a job? How does either Vindman still have a job in the NSA? I mean, the idea that these two brothers, Ukrainians, with high-level connections to Ukrainian high-level officials are part of the effort to help John Bolton bring down President Trump. It is simply mind-blowing. But there you have it. Word is out there. And now, because Bolton's words are out there, kind of making an accusation. Bolton's been clamoring to testify. Yeah, 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 I'll testify. And it is, apparently, when the House impeachment hearing was happening, it was a decision the House managers decided not to pursue. Obviously, President Trump can assert executive privilege over having his own NSA advisor. You know, it'd be like you know any other privilege recognized in law. You know, it's like the you know the marital privilege or the attorney-client privilege. The the privilege exists to protect communications to encourage openness. The president has executive privilege. He can say, you know, my NSA guy, I, I can't trust and I can't have conversations I can trust with my NSA guy if he can go testify. So Trump apparently said, you know, no on the executive said executive privilege with respect to Bolton. The House didn't have the backbone if they really wanted his testimony to pursue it, to go to court, either didn't have the backbone, didn't want to take the time. They didn't pursue Bolton's testimony in the House impeachment. So now we're over in the Senate. And the big question is, can the Senate call witnesses that the House did not call? And so because of this, you know, book by Bolton, now you've got the two reliably unreliable Republican senators just persistently without and just reliably unreliable susan collins of maine and mitt romney of utah alleged republicans both have now said because of what we're gleaning from what bolton's gonna say in his book now we're gonna vote to have john bolton come as a witness to this senate impeachment trial and i'm gonna tell you romney especially who is just a 
just a, um, you know, I, I can't, it's not even that he's just more, he is very establishment, very, you know, country club, wealthy, chin in the air, full of himself, intellectual, smug, superior. But he's not even just that. He's vindictive. He's does not like President Trump. He wants to hurt him. He wants to hurt him. So you have Romney, Senator Romney now saying, yes, on Bolton as a witness, think we're going to have to call him and will not commit that he would then also agree with the calling of the witnesses that the Republicans say, well, if the Democrats are going to bring witnesses, then we're bringing in the whistleblower, Eric Charamella. We're bringing in Schiff, the House manager who led this whole thing, and Schiff, whose staff was all mixed up with the whistleblower. We're, and there are also the Republican senators who are saying, if we got to have Bolton, we're going to have uh, the whistleblower, Schiff. We're going to have um, at least Hunter Biden, maybe Joe Biden. The long list of people that the Republicans are going to say, you want Bolton, we get all these. Now, what we need now more than anything is the backbone of Mitch McConnell, backbone of the Republicans in the Senate, just saying, no way that you get, you Democrats get Bolton and we'll then drop it. No way. I still think the best outcome, my view, I mean, even though I'd love to have all of it on the front pages, all of it spilled out there for America to see, I still think the best outcome for America would be get enough Republicans to vote no, to vote on acquit, to vote no on witnesses, to move to the vote, to move to acquit the president and move on, get this gone. That is my opinion. I'm going to tell you, I've heard people say, well, gee, you know, then you're going to have the Democrats arguing, well, the Republicans just happen to have the majority. They could end this impeachment. But America never got to see the truth. And this was so unfair. We had so many things America should have known. And the Republicans just protected their guy, protected their president. And now they look really bad. But I got to tell you, folks, Republicans, in a way, they can't win either way. Yes, if the Republicans move to acquit, as they need to do, you're going to have the Democrats claiming, well, yeah, because only because Republicans stepped up and, you know, voted straight party and protected their president. That's why, you know, the president was acquitted. He wasn't acquitted because he was innocent. He was acquitted because Republicans had the majority. But understand this. If the Republicans and Democrats came to an agreement on witnesses in the Senate trial, and so you had Bolton, who's obviously chomping at the bit to destroy President Trump, and the Democrats can't wait to let him do that. You're going to have all of what he has to say out there. You're going to have Republicans trying to counter it to figure out, you know, how do we refute it? How do we prove he's lying? How do we prove he's wrong? How do we prove he didn't know what he's talking about? And you're going to have all sorts of other witnesses, which even though you might think the other witnesses are there to help President Trump, you're going to have witness after witness after witness and then testimony about conversations and statements and who heard what and when was it heard and who heard it and who's lying about what was heard. And it will keep the story spinning in the media. It will raise more questions than it will ever answer. It will never, there will never be a point, mark my words, there will never be a point while President Trump sits in the White House this term or next term, there will never be a point that the Democrats in this country concede that there was nothing wrong with the Trump-Ukrainian phone call, that there was no impeachable offense committed by the president, 
The Democrats will never even concede that there wasn't Trump-Russia collusion after spending millions of dollars. The point is, the Democrats will never concede and act like grown-ups. They will never accept the verdict. They will never accept the truth. They will fight and the fight and fight. And all you do with a trial strung out is gives them more pieces of evidence, more arguments, more tidbits, more you know investigation needed. Now that we know this, now we got to know this. It will never ever end. So my vote, if I were a senator, you know the senator get the get to ask questions and vote to acquit, get it off the table because you have to understand dealing with the Democrat party in Washington at this time is like dealing with terrorists. I am not exaggerating. It's like dealing with terrorists. They will never surrender. They will never capitulate. They will never find compromise. They will never stop yammering and hammering. In fact, even during the House uh, managers presenting their case in the Senate, you had, I think it was Nadler, one of them, I think it was Nadler, brought up again, Trump-Russia collusion. And, and you know, the whole, the whole collusion Mueller thing, even though, as we all know, no matter how long they investigate, how much money Mueller spent and how many hours of depositions and how many lawyers he hired and how many people he talked to, they found nothing. But this is an example of what I mean. Nadler, the Dems will never drop this, ever, ever drop this. So you can't win by agreeing to be reasonable, by agreeing to call witnesses, by agreeing to hear both sides, you, the Republicans can't win. The only thing, it's like the only thing terrorists understand is brute power. Islamic jihadist terrorists only understand brute force. The Democrats in Washington only understand, shut it down, move on, and then please let us have a Republican majority in the U.S. House and put all this to bed because please understand, if President Trump is not impeached. If he stays in office through this election cycle, if he's reelected, this will continue. The effort to impeach him and destroy him will continue the entire time he is president until finally we have a majority in the House and the Senate and some people with backbone just say, you're done attacking him. Okay, last topic for today. We could talk about this all day, clearly. But um, what I want to talk to you about, this last thing, I, yesterday I couldn't get to it, about the China threat and this coronavirus. I got to tell you that I'm very leery of people predicting epidemics and pandemics and all sorts of scary things. I'm very leery about it because I think that even, and I, we've done shows, I can't remember the topic, but years ago did shows about how the CDC, for example, makes predictions about diseases spreading and the danger of diseases and what's coming and, and the CDC benefits from and all these public health officials benefit from being spreading alarm spreading alarm they will say we don't want to spread alarm but and then they make very scary prognostications and i think they do it perhaps you can say the good motive abundance of caution have people aware have people alert have people you know wash your hands don't share you know straws don't share you know you know but just to be careful kind of hygiene kind of things that's a good mission they have, but I also think the CDC gets funding, they get credibility, they get authority when they take the, the argument about how dangerous something is, 
how big the pot, the danger is to America, what the epidemic potential is, take it to the max. And they have done that. And I, I feel like with all these kind of things, I have to place that caution. I think there's always some concern about doing that. But having said that, I want to mention just a couple of things um, about this um, coronavirus we've all been hearing about, because there is a lot of concern and it should not be dismissed lightly. Okay. So the town in China where this seems to have emerged is a town called Wuhan, W-U-H-A-N, Wuhan. In the town of Wuhan, China, there are two bio, two laboratories, two laboratories controlled by the communist Chinese government that are linked to their development of biological warfare. I just want to plant that seed for you that everyone's been thinking this is just some virus like a bad flu virus. But there is some concern among informed people, some potential concern that this may have been something that got that was being developed intentionally in these bio warfare facilities, two of them in this town of Wuhan. Um, it's a covert biological weapons program. And this was actually testified to by Israeli biological warfare exit uh, expert who talked about it. Um, and, and also went back to a Wuhan, a 2015 uh, television report that in China, in this town of Wuhan, there's a most advanced research laboratory, excuse me, most advanced virus research research laboratory known as the Wuhan Institute of, Vi- of Virology. So there's some concern. This was developed intentionally, maybe not released intentionally, but developed intentionally. And here's a danger. I, want, I really want to turn to the political aspect of all of this. We're dealing with the Chinese Communist government. Very secretive, always secretive, always. Their, their people don't know what's going on. The world never knows what's going on. And it reminds some people, there was a big write-up about this in the Washington Times. In fact, I'll quickly mention, Anything I talk about in my show, you can go read the articles yourself. If you go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, and you'll find these articles linked. There was concern that maybe what happened in this town of Wuhan, that is the this top secret bio-warfare, biological weapons, covert biological weapons program research facility, maybe what came out, maybe this coronavirus came from that. So you're dealing with a secretive government, reminds a lot of people about Chernobyl. If you remember what happened in Chernobyl in Russia, we had that 2016 um, release of uh, the dangerous, no, it was, 20, it was earlier than 2016, but whenever it was, point is, Chernobyl happened where you had a leak at a nuclear facility. And the Chernobyl leak was not acknowledged by the government for it was like 10 days in fact they didn't acknowledge it at all until in sweden i was just reading this again the country of sweden has a nuclear facility where after chernobyl happened in sweden some guys working at the nuclear facility and you have to when you work there you go through a kind of like you do at the airport you go through something but it's detecting any radiation and the and the thing went off and this is for this worker going to the Sweden nuclear power plant. And they're thinking, what, what the heck was that? So, you know, he, um, I'm sorry, Chernobyl was many years ago. Thank you. 1986. So sorry, 1986. But same point. The idea of this was Sweden was the one that finally at their own nuclear facility plant realized worker after worker after workers coming through the detection facility and recognizing everyone's got some radiation, what's going on. And that's when 
Finally, the country of Russia admitted that Chernobyl had happened. So, and in Russia, right after the Chernobyl nuclear power accident and there were nuclear, uh, and, you know, da a dangerous, dangerous uh, release, because the country was so determined to convince people that there was nothing wrong, no danger here, they continued to permit. They had a parade of children planned in that town that day or the next, well, the next few days, and they said, no, no, go ahead, everybody, it's fine, it's fine. These kids are out doing a parade in the town after this nuclear accident has happened because they don't want to admit the country is so secretive. So back to the coronavirus. This is one reason when people in America High-level officials, people in policymaking in Washington say, we have to be very, very, very careful with the country of China. They would not acknowledge to the world if this coronavirus came from these research labs. They would not acknowledge it. They would hide it. They will hide it as long as they can and maybe forever if they can get away with it. Other experts are saying, too, that the number of people, number of victims, uh, China has announced a small number of victims have succumbed to it. People are now talking about the victim, the, the likelihood of the number of victims being probably 10 times higher than what they're admitting. I don't want to get off on the virus and the and spreading of it that day, but I do want to say it's another example of what among many things I appreciate about the Trump administration. They are tough on China. They are trying to encourage America and other countries to recognize China is a danger to this world. China is a danger because they have a very highly, highly controlled communist uh, mindset. They, the, all of the releasing uh, kind of relaxation of Chinese uh, communist policies and the opening up of China and having more, you know, free market type businesses, that's all getting reined back in. China, China is an extremely dangerous country. They have, they have very obvious, stated, acknowledged determination to rule the world. They're a dangerous place. And in America, as we watch this coronavirus, keep an eye on it in America and whatever, you know, all the um, cases and making sure that people have not been exposed to it. Understand, as tough as we have to be with China and dealing with this, we have to be that tough because I think they're a lot like Russia and Chernobyl back in 1986. They're not going to tell the truth about it if they possibly can, even though they recognize they may be wreaking havoc releasing havoc on areas uh, uh, and people all over the world. In fact, the other thing that happened, there was a announcement that before the country of China put down, put down a, a travel restriction on people within, within Wuhan so they wouldn't leave, that already had thousands leave after this was released, or after this problem came up and before they imposed their uh, travel ban. So you have people wandering around with this exposure to whatever it is. And my point in this show is just political to say you got to be very tough on China. I want to mention three last things before I turn to telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. First of all, thank you for all the emails I get. I love getting them from you. I try to respond to all of them. My email is americancamitalk at gmail.com. Yes, I'm far behind, but I do try to respond. Number two, I do a great newsletter every week on Friday linking to the stories of this week, linking to the interviews. If you'd like to receive that newsletter, go to my website, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage, hit the subscribe button, and I will send you a once a week email on Friday. I never share the email list with anybody. I don't sell it, I don't share it. It's just for that once weekly email. I will not inundate you day after day, it's once a week. It's a great way to catch up on Friday or on the weekend to the shows that you might have missed, and it's a great way to share the show forward my email to anyone you'd like. I'd love to share what I talk about on this show. Final thing is this, 
This show is vital in 2020. This, the voices of conservatives in America, spreading truth and spreading encouragement of love of America, recognition of America's goodness. These are vital messages in 2020. The show is entirely funded by no donations from listeners, entirely funded. And I cannot tell you how much I'd appreciate if you could support this show. If you go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, hit the donate button. You can make a one-time donation. You can make a recurring donation. But understand, as shows like mine grow, and this show is growing, and we have great numbers, the show is growing, as the show grows, the left-wing social media censors don't like that. They fight back. There's a, a, some things happening. I can't go into the details in the show right now. But you can see that the show is already being censored, limited in various ways by social media. Your contribution by the left-wing tech giants who don't want the conservative message out here, out in the world. Your contribution can help us fund the marketing that helped this show spread even or to go around to get past the efforts of the tech giants, the social media um, censors who try to silence voices like mine. So I would love and appreciate your support so much. And also, I always want to thank you always for listening to America Can We Talk. And now I'll tell you about why these stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with, we have our story about Supreme Court and Justice Gorsuch stepping up. Supreme Court permitted a Trump administration public charge rule to stand, protecting taxpayers from the burden of funding ever-expanding welfare for ever-growing numbers of new immigrants. Justice Gorsuch issued a concurring opinion warning lower federal court judges against issuing nationwide injunctions because those orders exceed the lower court's geographic jurisdiction. Lower federal district and circuit court rulings are supposed to govern the parties to the dispute in their districts only. Activist liberal federal judges have at least 15 times issued nationwide injunctions blocking enforcement of President Trump's executive orders, usually involving merit-based immigration. Justice Gorsuch is right. Imposing restraint on activist judges is way overdue. And on John Bolton and the impeachment treachery, President Trump would be right to hold up aid to Ukraine forever, if necessary, to flush out money laundering and other massive corruption of the Obama-Biden administration. Joe Biden doesn't get a shield of protection for his corruption by running for president. Therefore, it is irrelevant whether John Bolton says in a book that President Trump thought about, intended, wished, demanded, hoped for, or requested an investigation into Biden's corruption. Trump's DOJ should investigate corruption by the previous administration. They should investigate it. Only Beltway elites like Romney refuse to acknowledge this common sense reality. Bolton's leaks and the timing are destroying his own reputation, even among conservatives, but he apparently doesn't know it. And finally, China's coronavirus, a vivid reminder of the clear and present danger that is China. The Chernobyl vibe of the coronavirus outbreak is disturbing. A totalitarian communist society is not transparent, Truth is not a value. Human life is cheap. The city of Wuhan, known to have bio-warfare labs, the admitted levels of death and quarantine are serious. This is why, for decades, trade and other relations with China should have been much more carefully managed than they were. The Trump administration has been right on trade, and they must rise to the occasion on addressing this virus. And my friends, 
This is American Chemistry Talk for today. Tune in every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-